Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. Join me now and we will explore these topics and so much more with fascinating guests, authors, and experts who will guide us to Destination Unlimited. Is there a profound and astonishing alignment between the ancient Gnostic teachings and the modern science of quantum physics and philosophy? My guest this week on Destination Unlimited, the renowned linguist, historian, and spiritual philosopher Peter Canova, had a series of life-changing spiritual experiences that put him on the path of studying and writing about spirituality and consciousness. He's the author of the 25 times award-winning First Souls Trilogy and has contributed to the popular Chicken Soup for the Soul series. His website is petercanova.com, and he joins me this week to share his path and latest book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness. Please join me in welcoming to Destination Unlimited, Peter Canova. Welcome, Peter. Victor, how are you? Good to be with you. Good to be with you too, sir. So, Peter, please share with us your path and the life-changing experiences that led to your exploration of and writing on spirituality and consciousness. Yeah, well, when I was in my 20s, um, quite to my surprise, I found out that I was a very accurate uh, medical intuitive. All people had to do was give me a name, age, and address of anybody anywhere in the world, and uh, I could uh, pretty accurately diagnose uh, any um, medical, physical issues, or even psychological issues that people were having. And when I um, managed to push aside the disbelief and let my rational mind recede in all this, uh, it opened up the floodgates for um, information that was coming from uh, other dimensions. Uh, would I would have experienced, I would experience things like <clears throat> psychometry, remote viewing, uh, premonitions, um, uh, uh, and uh, it just uh, really, I started to realize, in essence, that there was a whole another world out there, a whole unseen world, and I felt like a person who had maybe been in front of a radio, uh, tuning it for a long time, uh, but finally, I hit that one frequency, I hit that one station, I realized it was always there, always broadcasting, you know, twenty four seven, but I had to attune to it, and fortunately. Um, I did. And, uh, you know, people come to this path by different ways. Some of it is a little bit more calculated and studious. Some people kind of fall into it spontaneously. With me, it was probably more the spontaneous thing, but actually a little bit of both. So at that point, um, I started to, well, because I'm a Capricorn and I'm still a very practical person, I wanted to understand the nuts and bolts. 
behind what I was experiencing and how these things would be possible. So I started studying ancient spiritual traditions, uh, consciousness, and that eventually led me to quantum physics because they really focus on pretty much the same thing, which is light, matter, and energy, and consciousness that comes down to all those things, whether you're looking at it from a quantum scientific standpoint or whether you're looking at it for a spiritual standpoint. So all those streams kind of converged in my research, and that was uh, what uh, the basis became of for my recent Amazon bestselling book, Quantum Spirituality. And as a fellow Capricorn, I totally understand. Uh, I've had the benefit of being a Capricorn uh, on the cusp of Aquarius. So the Aquarian side of me also takes effect when I start doing this type of work. And my fascination has always been with the crossroads of science and spirituality. So I have total understanding of what you're talking about. Before we discuss your latest book, Quantum Spirituality, please tell us about your multi-award-winning First Souls trilogy with titles including Pope Annalisa, the 13th Disciple, and The Light of Distant Suns. What inspired this amazing trilogy? And please tell us a little about each one in the series. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for asking. Well, um, the when I had these experiences and I started studying and I started understanding things, I realized that I had been through a life-changing experience that propelled my life, I think, in a better direction. Uh I was and still am an international businessman, but I largely changed the course of my direction to pursue these studies and, and write books, um, kind of turn the reins of the company uh, more over to my brother for day-to-day -day operations. And um, I, you know, I kind of stepped back, took, took a big hit in income and, uh, and uh, you know, became, became a writer. And I, I wanted to share what I had learned, my experiences of what I had learned in order to try and help other people raise their own levels of consciousness to be able to have extraordinary experiences with higher consciousness. So at that point, I had two ways to go. I could write another sort of, um, uh, you know, more academic book or self-help book, which is kind of what quantum spirituality turned out to be. And I'll explain that later. But uh, I, I, what I really felt was a lot of people were doing that. And uh, I wanted to do something with an entertaining vehicle, something that people would internalize by identifying with characters in the book. And these characters really were kind of archetypical um, concepts of, of, of what, I, what I had been through. And so uh, I wrote a book, uh, I wrote a series called The First Souls Trilogy, and it's about the first souls to incarnate into materiality, the first spirit consciousness to incarnate into materiality. And it traces the lives of these cardinal souls over different epochs of history, usually at junctures when humanity is either going to propel itself forward or, or take a major step backwards. They sort of they sort of appear. And the first book is called Pope Annalisa. It's about an African nun who becomes the first female pope at a time when America and Iran are about to go into a nuclear war. And she uh, is inserted right into the middle of all these um, geo you know, political machinations and turmoil. And uh, there's a big question throughout the whole book of, well, what do, what is she? What does she really represent? Is she somebody who uh, is kind of like another uh, demagogue who's really going to lead the world order to ruin? Or is she somebody who really is going to help humanity 
um, uh, take a, you know, take a leap in consciousness. So throughout much of the book, a lot of people are really questioning, you know, what, what exactly is she? Who exactly is she? And, um, it's, a it's a very exciting geopolitical spiritual thriller. Uh, it won 10 national and international book awards and the trilogy itself has won 25 or 26, I think, national and international book awards, uh, including, um, best book series. And the second book, um, is called The 13th Disciple. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do some mild spoilers here, uh, in order to explain to the audience, but essentially, uh, the, 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 uh, the main characters in the first book, uh, appear in all three books, but in different incarnations. So the second book, and it was written kind of in reverse order, like Star Wars. Uh, and the second book goes back to biblical times around the time of the Christ and uh, the characters that were revolving around them, particularly Mary Magdalene. And uh, they are uh, reincarnations of uh, the, the characters in the first book. And the second book deals with a crucial period in human history when a great revelation was being introduced by the Christ, but then it was also being warped and co-opted uh, by powerful forces, uh, particularly, you know, the Orthodox Catholic Church at the time. And it deals a lot with the sacred feminine and the fact that the uh, early leadership of the church was most definitely mystical and most definitely female. And it shows how that shifted over time and how that whole uh, feminine mystical principle was suppressed along with the um, the female leaders of the church kind of being um, eradicated or erased out of erased out of history. And then the final book, the light of uh, the, the light of distant suns. Uh, a lot of people are a little taken aback by that book because it's, it's a radical difference from the first two books, which more or less deal in real historical time. The light of distant suns is the origin story of when the souls first came into earth and they founded this, high technical civilization kind of like an atlantean type of civilization uh and uh they they became divided because many of them were still young enough to remember their spiritual origins uh but uh those others were now falling under the spell of materiality and starting to identify reality with the boundaries of their skin rather than recognizing the higher dimensions from which they came and it ends up in a, a kind of a vicious civil war uh, that ultimately, you know, destroys this civilization. Yet that civilization becomes the seeds of civilizations that we know, like the Egyptians and uh, the uh, the Greeks. So, um, you know, it's a very comprehensive book dealing right from the creation, you know, all the way up to modern times. And and, and people find the the different genres in the book, but the but the connections between those genres very fascinating. And we're going to touch a little bit more on the suppression of feminine wisdom a little later in the uh, podcast. But right now, what inspired your latest book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness? Yeah, well, um, as I mentioned, I didn't want to start off my writing career uh, writing a nonfiction book like Quantum Spirituality. I, I wanted to write something that would be more entertainment oriented. And I was aiming to get the largest audience possible, which I think is um, easier to do with a novel. And incidentally, I'm working right now on getting Pope Annalisa into a TV series. I have a, a partner who is a former executive at HBO, and uh, we're um, we're in discussions with various groups about getting it into a TV series because I wanted to reach a wider audience. But Quantum Spirituality is basically the uh, 40 years of research 
that went into the making of the fictional trilogy. It's it's all everything that I found out, everything that I've experienced, everything that I've learned uh, about both ancient mystical traditions and uh, quantum quantum science. And I think I was perhaps the first person to ever observe very distinct and direct parallels between the revelations of the ancient Gnostic masters. And we can, if your audience needs to know who Gnostics are, we can go into that. But the Gnostics were a, um, they predated Christianity, but they were, they became the first Christians. They were the foundation of the mystical Christian church. And their uh, writings were so incredibly scientific and precise, allowing for the fact that they didn't have technology and technological terms in those days. But uh, if you look at their writings, I noticed that they predicted almost every major theory of modern quantum physics, such as the Big Bang, parallel universes, and the God particle. And in the book, I go into detail about, you know, those connections. And it's really fascinating because, you know, Victor, ultimately, what I'm trying to do is inspire people. The biggest impediment to human existence is fear. We're, we we don't know why we're here. We don't know what our purpose is, and we don't know where we're going. And it causes a tremendous amount of fear, and it really sets us back, and it makes us susceptible to all kinds of um, uh, outside control mechanisms that uh, you know try to tell us what we should be and how we should think and what we should do. And I'm I'm trying to get people to become their own prophets, to have their own direct experience with higher consciousness, just the way the Gnostics did, and the. Um, Quantum spirituality is essentially a roadmap. And like any roadmap, you have to have at least two coordinates, you know, north, south, latitude, longitude, or whatever. And the two coordinates that I use are quantum physics and ancient mystical wisdom. Because if you used either one or the other, you know, you could sort of sit there with a little bit of skepticism. I mean, we have a lot of spiritual books out there and they they say a lot of things and you kind of have to take that on faith. You know, there's no way they really prove it. You kind of have to take them on faith. But when you have these two bookends of science and spirituality, essentially saying the same thing, just coming in through different doors, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm trying to inspire people to say, hey, there is something out there and it's something worth pursuing, something that you, uh, you know, really need to look at. And here, let me give you some tools and, and, and give you some, um, you know, background to help you on that journey. Absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about the ancient Gnostics a little bit later, but right now let's offer our listeners who may not be familiar with some of the terms we'll be discussing. Let's give them a few definitions. Let's start with quantum physics and the famous slot tests and quantum non-locality. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah. Well, um, quantum physics essentially started right around the year 1900 with a brilliant German physicist named Max Planck, 
who was studying the properties of light. And uh, what he found was that light is not emitted continuously, as most people believe, but it is emitted in discrete packets of information, discrete packets that he called quanta. And so these quanta of light is essentially where we got the uh, the terminology for quantum physics. So in, in its essence, quantum physics really is the study of light energy. And uh, the double slit experiment, um, the, uh, the 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 notoriety or the famous thing about the double slit ex- slit experiment was that it showed that what we think of as particles or we think of a solid world is not solid at all. Uh, at the very fundamental level of reality, there's no such things as particles. Now, Max Planck said this as much. He had a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it. I should probably have this memorized by heart, but Max Planck essentially said, um, I can assure you there's no such thing as matter. Uh, what there is, is an intelligent force that brings atoms and molecules to a vibration that allows them to appear solid. Now, this isn't from Swami Ramalama Ding Dong. This is, this is from Max Planck, who was the father of modern quantum physics. So the double slit experiment essentially proved what Max Planck said back in the year 1900, which is that at the very fundamental levels of reality, what exists are not particles, but waves of energy, light waves of energy. Okay. So the u- the universe really is more like an energy field than it is anything else. And uh, quantum entanglement, I think you mentioned quantum entanglement. Was that the other yes. term? Mm-hmm. Yes. Or yeah. quantum, um, quantum non-locality. Quantum non-locality, which is essentially the same thing as quantum entanglement. But quantum non-locality is that they observed that particles that would be the equivalent of light thousands, millions of light years apart uh, will will react simultaneously, are connected in, in some manner and will react simultaneously. So let's say there's a victor on Earth and we pinch him and the victor up on Mars says, ouch, at the same time. How does that happen? OK, there's no they're not connected by uh, two tin cans and a string uh, or by fiber optics. Um, they, there's something else going on here. So uh, this uh, really, again, reinforced the idea that existence seems to occur within a field, within a quantum or energetic field of light energy. And the reason why these particles are able to communicate, the reason why humans are able to communicate telepathically, and incidentally, we have a number of experiments, some of which I cited in the book, that shows these these telepathic connections amongst humans. My own um, experience with... Um, being a medical intuitive uh, is, is an example of this, that uh, we are connected in this energy matrix and that under the proper circumstances, we can uh, essentially um, communicate with other parts of that matrix. So we're, we're part of, we're actually parts of a whole and the separation between us is really a matter of appearance rather than a matter of, of reality, because all these experiments at quantum non-locality uh, are all indicating that we kind of live in a holographic matrix in effect, and that we're all connected. Ultimately, we're all a unity. And the source of that unity is an intelligent light energy that permeates all creation. I had a personal experience of this in 1975. I don't know if you want to call it remote viewing or something else or I was stationed in Korea, 1975, uh, 6,000 miles away from New York, which was my home. And one morning in Korea, I woke up and I said, there's something wrong with my mother. And I had no evidence of this other than this sense that there was something wrong with my mother. I picked up the phone. I started calling. I got her. 
my sister picked up the extension phone. In those days, we had extension phones simultaneously. And I said, Mom, what's wrong? And my sister said, oh, my God, how did he find out? And it turned out that she was scheduled for major surgery the next day. And immediately I told her, Mom, the surgery will be a complete success. You'll be home recovering quickly, and you're going to be just fine. And that was reassuring to her. And sure enough, that's exactly what transpired. So how did I know this? Where did that information come from? Well, my, really my, mother, my mother, my own mother had a similar experience with my younger brother. Um, and uh, she she said one day something seriously wrong with him. Uh, and uh, it turns out that he, he was in the hospital and he was um, diagnosed with a rare, uh, rare illness, a rare fever. And he almost died. Um, he, he, he was, um, you know, uh, in the hospital for quite a while and, uh, she had the same, you know, uh, premonition and my mother really is not a person who necessarily is, you know, prone to, um, even believing such things, but yeah, uh, we're, it, it's all an example of what I said. We're all connected and, um, you know, there's certain factors that allow us to realize these connections and realize our connections to a higher consciousness and certainly emotion is one very very big factor desire and emotion and um when we are inspired uh, which means in spirit when we are inspired by emotion or strong feelings and things like that we often become very receptive to making these connections and communications and obviously your mother you know it's it's pretty obvious that your uh, emotional connection there Absolutely. Why do you think that material science has rejected, often out of hand, some of the experiences we're talking about? It's very interesting that science pretty much gutted orthodox religion, uh, and in turn, they created their own form of orthodoxy. So they became anti-religion. And in effect, they completely abandoned any notion of god or spirituality uh in their pursuits and the scientific method basically says if it ain't visible and testable it ain't real uh and that was a very convenient way to ignore um what i call the big bottom of the iceberg because all they were doing was studying the tip of the iceberg you know what what's what can be measured by instruments what they can see and things which which is such a fraction of what reality is so they decided to concentrate on a fraction of what reality was and they became very orthodox about it. They became sort of the new priests of their age. And anybody that tried to deal with what they call in science the hard problem, which is the role of consciousness, um, you know, became outcasts. They were they they were shunned. They were castigated. Many people lost their jobs. Um, I think Ben Stein did a great documentary uh, oh, about ten or fifteen years ago uh, about um, you know academics who dared to venture into. Um, or, you know, let's say beyond the strictures of scientific materialism and how they were, you know, losing jobs and being castigated in the scientific community. So um, it became the province of, uh, of, of a materialistic worldview that they felt that they had to reinforce. And I cite examples in the books by famous scientists, even Nobel winning scientists, that basically indicate that for them, um, it's, they're not really being very scientific. It's more this, this materiality, this commitment to the fact that, you know, we can't, uh, we, you know, th th there's no, no spirit, no explanation of, of a higher power or higher consciousness. It, it's a, it's a, it's an ideological point with them. And it overrides even scientific evidence that is in front of their noses. Now, this is changing. Okay. Because 
kind of liken it to the exploration of the West in uh, American history. So those pioneers in the West, which I would equate to modern quantum physicists, they were making the new discoveries. Okay. But it took a while for those discoveries and for what was happening out there to reach the settled areas back East and eventually unify and transform, you know, this continent. So we're, we're now kind of on that cusp where what I call the new science that's being fueled by discoveries in the quantum field uh, are really, in essence, changing our whole view of what reality is and running counter to the scientific materialist view, but it hasn't been absorbed yet by those scientists in in the hinterland. So, you, you know, many of them are still committed to scientific materialism. And if you want to summarize it in a nutshell, what scientific materialism says is life is the great accident. Somehow, inorganic matter became organic, and they've never been able to explain how that happened. <laughs> and then, uh, it, 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 you know, you have these uh, unitary organisms that kept bumping together until they formed more complex structures and so forth that eventually led to, um, you know, human beings and consciousness. So essentially, it's it was a bottom up process for them, an accident, a bottom up process that they can't explain. The the view that is starting to um, be grasped by uh, a, a growing minority uh, of scientists is that no life is a top-down process where it started with uh, an intelligent um, directives that use light energy as its vehicle of expression and that it uh, essentially um, uh, limited its way or worked its way or projected its way down into lower forms, which would ultimately be the physical, which would be the lowest form of, of, of spiritual expression. Because as human beings, we're we're really um, you know uh, spirit seeking a human experience. So the lowest form of of expression for this spiritual energy would be materiality. And if you take the 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 uh, that version. Almost all the paradoxes that you find in science and quantum science and everything go away. Whereas if you take the other viewpoint, they run into all kinds of infinities and, and issues that they can't really explain. And they just try and you know shove it under the rug. My guest is Peter Canova. His book is entitled Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness. Peter, please tell our listeners where they can get your book and find out more about you and your work. Yeah, probably the best place to go is petercanova.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A.com. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. There's a number of important videos uh, to look at. You can also access the First Souls Trilogy site. I do have a second site, popeanalisa.com. That's P-O-P-E-A-N-N-A. LISA.com. You can either go there directly uh, or you can get there a little bit more roundabout way through my my Peter Canova website. But if you go to either of those two places, um, you know, you're going to get a good background on the body of work that I've done. And we'll be back with more of Peter after these words on the Ohm Times Radio Network. The cutting edge of conscious radio, Ohm Times Radio, IOM FM. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. 
Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Om Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. Back on Destination Unlimited, my guest this week, Peter Canova, his book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness. Getting back to definitions, and we sort of touched on this before, what is Gnosticism? Yeah, the not well, the word gnosis means to know in Greek, and the Gnostics were those who knew, and what did they know? Uh, the Gnostics were uh, a kind of a, a fairly far-flung group, but really they centered in the ancient Greek city of Alexandria, Egypt, which was the intellectual capital of the Western world at that time, more so than Athens, more so than Rome. Um, they enjoyed the confluence of many different spiritual traditions, from the Hindu to the Persian to Egyptian Hermeticism to uh, Jewish uh, Kabbalism uh, and Hellenistic philosophy. All these all these streams of um, spiritual wisdom flowed through Alexandria, and the Gnostics essentially were the the recipients of those. They kind of synthesized that, and in in truth, um, all major religions of the world had a common core we call it the perennial philosophy today but they had certain common you know principles in common and over you know the millennia they would be differentiated some because of cultural factors but um still there was a, a unified core there and the gnostics basically the gnostic masters were almost like um you know like shamans and shamans are people who essentially cross over into other dimensions and bring information back in order to help people or to heal people in this particular vibration. And that's exactly what the Gnostics did. So the Gnostics basically were voyagers into the realms of higher consciousness, and they brought back incredible information uh, about the creation uh, and about the operation of uh, not just our physical world, but the operation of um, other parallel dimensions. And that's probably why I zeroed on the Gnostics more than anybody else, because the clarity and 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 the um, the analogs to modern science were so vivid that I hadn't found that in any other spiritual traditions before. So um, the Gnostics were. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
they predated Christianity, but um, they became the first Christians because they recognized when Jesus of Nazareth came that he was teaching a Gnostic spiritual message. And I go into the book about the background of why I say that. We have very strong evidence in the Bible and in the writings of the early church fathers that Jesus most definitely had a mystical inner teaching and that only a few people were privy to that. uh, And then to the multitudes he taught in parables because they believed that... um, by and large, the masses would not be able to grasp these um, mystical truths, uh, you know, on their face. It really took an adept to spend some time to understand this. And so there really were two churches back then. There was the church that had the inner mystical wisdom and inner mystical tradition, which would have, which, you know, were the Gnostic Christians. And then there was the outer church, which was more or less uh, the churches that we have today, the Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant churches, um, you know, I, I will collectively just call them Orthodox. Uh, and uh, they were very heavily influenced by the Roman Empire and by agendas of uh, various power groups competing within the Roman Empire that really warped the um, the teachings, the original Christian teachings. So, um, you know, unfortunately, the Gnostics were suppressed uh, right up through the Middle Ages of the last remaining uh, organized Gnostic church were the Cathars in France, and they were victims of the Albigensian crusade, which was the only crusade in, initiated against, um, other Christians. And, uh, the Albigensians who were, were the basically state religion in Southern France were eradicated. Uh, it was only until 1945 that we really, um, started to get a real window onto what the Gnostics were about because some Egyptian peasants that were rummaging around cliffside cage, caves looking for manure uh, came across these uh, earthenware jars. And when they broke them open, there were these um, these uh, papyrus texts that spilled out. And these were uh, suppressed Gnostic texts that were hidden away uh, in these caves. And for the first time, well, not for the first time, but, uh, but largely uh, for the first time, we had a glimpse into the Gnostics from their own words. Prior to that, the bulk of what we knew about the Gnostics came from the writings of their opponents, the early church fathers. Uh, so it was a big discovery in 1945, and, and it um, it opened up, um, I think, a whole new vista of uh, understanding Western spirituality. We touched upon this in the first segment. What were some of the other teachings of the Gnostic mystics? Well, they... For one thing, I think the the, the most important thing, and one of the reasons why the Orthodox Church feared and despised them so much, was that they didn't need a church or priests in order to commune with a higher source. Uh, Essentially, they felt that every person had the spark of the divine in them and was able to access that and you know, they they certainly had people that would help them along the way. Um, they had what were called fosters or, or enlightened ones, you know, who would help them along the way, but they never served the role of, of priest or intercessors uh, between any individual person and uh, higher consciousness. And, um, you know, the, the vision, the creation vision of the two branches of Christianity kind of sums the whole thing up. In the Orthodox version of creation, we were like these kind of little clay dolls that 
God breathed life into and put us down here in this insane asylum, bouncing around, trying to figure out what to do. And we angered God and we were forever trying to get back into his, uh, you know, good graces. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the whole concept of original sin and um, essentially that picture sets, tells us that, wait a minute, God and humans are two separate things. Humans are creations of God. They're, they're separate. The Gnostics said, no, nope, that's not the way it is. God did not create anything. God emanated things. And emanation means that you project your own essence. So the Gnostics said that all spirit consciousness, including that spirit consciousness embodied in material form, was a projection of the very essence of the source itself. Now, albeit in diluted forms, okay? Limitation of consciousness was important because without limitation of consciousness, there could be no concept of individuality. There could be no individual experience because if you, you know, if you didn't have a, a limited uh, a concept of consciousness, you would be the same thing as the source itself and you'd just be, you know, reabsorbed back into the source. So, even though that there was a limitation in vibration, uh, a conscious vibration for these projected souls, they were still part of God's very essence. It's kind of like um, picture a mountain stream, right? And part of it flows downhill on the mountain. And as it flows down, it picks up various pollutants and dirt and everything else. So by the time it gets down to the bottom, it's kind of muddy, but it's still part of the same stream. It's still part of that 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 mountain, that mountain lake, it's still part of that stream of consciousness, albeit in a diluted form. And that's how the Gnostics essentially viewed humanity. So it's a much higher station that they ascribed to humanity than what Orthodox Christianity said. Orthodox Christianity tells us that, you know, we're these sinners and we ticked off God. And now we're forever trying to get back into his good graces. The Gnostics said, no, nah, it's really a matter of remembrance. We just have to remember the source that we came from. And because we're connected to that source. So you can see right away the huge philosophical difference in terms of what it means to be a human being between these two points of view. Because in the Gnostic point of view, and the way I sum it up is that we are the fingers of God touching the face of this world. And our purpose is to spiritualize the material and bring the experience of the material back to spirit. Okay, so that spirit can experience every form of existence in all its fullness, including even material experience, because how does something that spiritual energy experience materiality? So, you know, uh, it, it, it assigns a much higher role to human purpose. And how are these expressed in the secret teachings of Jesus? Well, I mean, I think this is exactly what Jesus was teaching. Um, remember the early Christianity was, was not called Christianity. It wasn't called that for some time after the death of Christ. That was a term I think that first was used in, where was it? Antioch or Damascus, where the local population used to describe the followers of Christ, but, um, it was called the way. Now that's a very interesting term that the early Christians called themselves the way because the way doesn't much sound like a religion, does it? What, what it really sounds like is it's a spiritual path. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching a Gnostic spiritual path. He was teaching uh, in, in enlightenment and trying to um, essentially get people to understand the higher workings of uh, universal creation and uh, what exactly the source was and how the source manifested itself through different uh, realms of creation or different universes of creation. 
and that uh, we are sort of like the the bottom line of that process, but we're we're part of it. We're interconnected with it, and that's essentially you know overall what he would have been teaching um, his uh, his followers or his, his students back then. So you know it was the Orthodox Christianity that started to put enter the more supernatural features in, and you know kind of focus on the supernatural features like the resurrection and things like that. Um, I mean, the Gnostics really tended to look at that more symbolically uh, than they did literally. So um, anyway, uh, th- that that was some of the differences, and that's what I think Jesus would have been, you know, part of the teachings back then. What is the nature of consciousness? Well, consciousness, first and foremost, is energy, but it's a type of energy. It, it's an intelligent energy. It's, it, 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 and intelligence means that there is intent and there is direction that those are hallmarks of intelligence okay and it's clear that the supreme consciousness had an intent in a direction because we see you know the, the manifold wonder of creation uh that didn't just happen by accident you know that was that was uh that was uh in you know intentional um now i don't want to get into i i can get into some realms that are a little complicated here by saying that um you know the the spirits uh kind of um went off on their own and you know sort of uh maybe uh, uh warped um you know parts of existence that weren't maybe originally intended from the source that's a whole different discussion which would take a long period of time but clearly there is intention and there is intelligence behind it. And light energy is the vehicle by which that intention and intelligence is, is carried out. So you can think of light energy essentially as almost like uh, cosmic DNA. Um, it, it, it gives form and it gives shape to all the multiplicity and you know variety that we see in the universe. But it all stems back to light energy uh, vibrating at different frequencies. And as you shared earlier, matter really is a form of energy. Yeah, that's well established. That's not even a, that pretty much not even a theory anymore. Uh, I mean, starting from Max Planck, that's exactly what he was saying. Um, the double slit experiment, many other things show that. And then you have Einstein's e equals MC squared, which is probably maybe the most clear example that, um, you know, energy equals mass times the velocity of light squared. What, what essentially he's saying is that matter and energy are interchangeable. Matter derives from and resolves back into energy. So which is the basis for, um, you know, the nuclear reaction, the nuclear bomb. Uh, it's, it's the, uh, you know, splitting of the atom and releasing it back into the energy. It's, it's, it's energetic state. And that release of energy is what causes that tremendous force. So, I mean, even within any individual molecule or atom, there's a tremendous amount of intelligent creative force that uh, is inherent uh, in, in those in those minute uh, particles. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that's what uh, you know, clearly matter and energy are this are the same thing. And, you know, there are there are all forms of matter there, where there's visible matter. But then there's matter we don't see. It's called dark matter. And there's probably other forms of etheric matter, finer matter uh, that is vibrating at a higher frequency. Um, it's probably a, you know, a grading system on down from pure spiritual energy to various states of uh, matter and then into, you know, matter in solid form like we are down here. It's it's all a matter of vibrational frequency. And what is it? The uh, second law of thermodynamics energy can neither be created nor destroyed, but changes from form to form. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. 
Is our quote-unquote reality a cosmic holographic movie? Well, it certainly seems so. Um, the double split experiment, essentially, and non-locality essentially showed us that there's a matrix that is an unseen matrix out there that is connecting life. And many of the most brilliant theoretical physicists have said that the appearance of physical matter is kind of like a blip in the energy field. So you, if you think, um, you think of, um, let me have me give you an example. Uh, you think of an ocean and um, sometimes, and I've seen this happen in Florida, a water spout, which is kind of like a, a water, waterborne tornado can develop out of that smooth water. And uh, you see, you can see it as a physical entity. You can see the water spout, but really it's part of that still water that is uh, below it. It's like a blemish on the smooth surface of the water. Essentially, many um, physicists are saying that's what material life is. We're like a, a blemish on the smooth surface of this underlying uh, of this underlying energy field. We're like a uh, you know like a blip uh, in in the underlying uh, energy field. So um, energy uh, has a lot to do with it. And what happened that's very interesting that leads us to even further believe that uh, we live in a holographic movie comes with a study of black holes of all things. So um, when scientists started to study black holes, they, uh, they started to realize that the information, and incidentally information, again, as, as I told you, information is a critical part of, of all these forces because information essentially is that intelligent uh, light energy or that intent in operation that's it's in, information is kind of like the dna that gives um you know the algorithms that give uh shape to all the various forms of matter so w what they found out was that the information that makes up a black hole does not reside within the black hole itself it resides outside the black hole on the on the surface horizon. Now, I know that's a little difficult to grasp, so let me try and give a more understandable analogy here. Let's say you have a bucket, and inside the bucket is our universe. And the our universe does have boundaries, okay? Just like a black hole has defined boundaries, our universe has boundaries. So let's say our entire universe, us, Earth, you know, every, all the galaxies and everything in it are inside this cosmic bucket. Now, you would think that the information that makes up our universe is inside the bucket. All the activity, the comings and goings, the planets and everything else, all that information, you'd think that that's inside the bucket, but it's not. It's on the outside of the bucket. It's on the skin of the bucket. It's in two dimensions, and it's projected inward to the appearance of three dimensions. This is exactly what they found in the study of black holes. So, so essentially, when you combine this with, uh, you know, uh, all the speculations about you know non-locality and how all these all these you know everything is connected in this energy matrix and then all of a sudden you see that well wait a minute um it it, it appears that our whole universe our whole world is a projection from another source or another dimension of existence and this is exactly what the gnostics were saying that and 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 actually mystics in general are saying that you know we live in an illusion we live in a projected illusion uh it's a construct uh, an energetic mind construct in the mind of a higher power it sounds pretty abstract but 
you know, all of a sudden you have some pretty powerful information in the form of these black hole studies that are telling us, you know what, our world really does seem to be operating like a holographic movie. My guest is Peter Canova. His book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness. We'll be back with more after these words on the OM Times Radio Network. Humanity Healing International is a small nonprofit with a big dream. Since 2007, HHI has been working tirelessly to bring help to communities with little or no hope. Our projects are not broad mandates, nor are they overnight solutions, but they bring the reassurance that no one is alone and that someone cares. To learn more, please visit humanityhealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Back on Destination Unlimited, my guest this week, Peter Canova, his book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness. Peter, how does the work of Carl Jung reflect some of what we've been discussing? Well, in so many ways, Carl Jung, when he first read the Gnostic text, he said, you know, these people basically described my work before I did it. Uh, and he he was himself uh, what I would call a spontaneous Gnostic. He had many vivid um, dreams and experiences that were um, certainly you would say of, uh, of Gnostic you know revelations. And um, you know the, the, it, there's so many parallels that it's just hard to to cite all of them. But uh, for instance, uh, you know one example would be his uh, notion of archetypes. Um, archetypes were something that Plato also talked about. Jung further defined, and he said archetypes are these ideals that uh, are, that seem to control human existence. Now they can be both of a positive and negative variety, um, but um, you know he's the human psyche uh, essentially uh, is motivated at deepest levels and operates through these archetypes. And the Gnostics described these archetypes. They said that the, the spirit, the, the original spirits that were projected from the source, which in their totality with the source constituted what the Gnostic Gnostics viewed as the heavenly dimension, the first projected spirits of high high intelligence were given interesting names. They were called love, wisdom, justice, mercy. Essentially, they were ideals in the mind of God, even though they were separate spiritual or individual vibrations from the the source that projected them they were projected ideals or or directive forces from the mind or the source uh, mind of the source and uh jung uh, identified these uh, same uh, archetypes as being motivators for human existence in present in every human culture so certainly that was one thing that uh he described that was exactly in keeping with uh the whole gnostic idea of the archetypes which they called eons incidentally a-e-o-n-s which meant eternities in greek uh you can call them eternal ideas eternal feelings eternal ideas and jung identified these as uh very much embedded in the in the human psyche um, there were many other instances, you know, Jung described, uh, the, uh, the unconscious, uh, as the, as the source of, um, uh, where 
uh, things were unformed, things were in potential. And the Gnostics essentially described chaos as being in the same way. There was a zone that, that had, that stayed outside of the organized, um, mind of the source on purpose because it was given potential to be random chance so that everything wasn't just a locked destiny or a locked uniformity. And the Gnostics identified this as chaos. And essentially Jung talked about the same force, you know, residing with the human unconscious. So there, there are many, many things that you could draw parallels between Jung and the Gnostics. Those are just a couple. What is the feminine path to higher consciousness? The mystics of ancient times, and I'm not just talking about the Gnostics, almost all of them identified the fact that the source is a polarity um it 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 it's it, they described it as a male and female polarity a yin and yang polarity and even though the source is one it operated in its effort in its um effort to uh project existence outside of itself because um the, if you're if you're the source of everything it's a static existence okay if you're everything you it's it's static because you can't compare yourself to anything else there's nothing else to contrast you with so in an effort to create existence which is not just or, or which is not just being but experiencing the source projected out these other points of consciousness that we've spoken of uh and um the uh the the the, uh, the way it operated was that the source divided itself into a polarity which was male and female yin and yang and the reason for this is that that the 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 interaction between those polar opposites between the male qualities and the female qualities created the light friction motion heat in order to propel creation just the way you know a battery operates we have positive and negative cables in the battery and the interactions between those is essentially what creates light and that's how the source created light energy the same same way a, in, in essence a battery would operate so uh the feminine side of of the equation was really um the the intuitive uh wisdom side of, and it was always described this way in all the ancient texts that the feminine principles or the feminine characteristics were always associated with wisdom and intuition so intuition and wisdom are really the gateways to higher consciousness. Um, you know, we we won't really get far in our lives if we're completely rational people and we only operate off of numbers and appearances and everything else. But there's such a thing as instinct and there's such a thing as inspiration and there's such a thing as motivation and feeling. And those are all feminine characteristics. And those are pretty much the gateway to having higher experiences. Now, both operate in 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 unison you can't you you want to have a balance between them and in fact jung told us that the each each individual human being has the male and the female in them he called it the anima and the animus and that is the yin and yang the male and female we each have these polarities inside us and that's even demonstrated in you know the fact that our brain has two hemisphere, hemispheres we have a right brain and a left brain each of them associated with various types of characteristics but it's the feet but i at least i feel that it's the female principle with the in, the intuition the feeling and so forth that is kind of the gateway to having these experiences to higher consciousness and um you know it's uh, i used to liken it to a rocket a rocket has two components it has the guidance system and the fuel well the female uh is the fuel and if you don't have the fuel you never get off the ground 
the mail is the guidance system and you can get off the ground. But if you don't have the guidance system, you kind of don't know where you're going. So they both need each other, you know, for a directed experience back to source consciousness. Recently, we've seen a reactionary fear-based effort to suppress the strides that women have achieved. Why do you think this is happening? I mean, I, 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 I think well, I think there's a I, I think there's a larger context here. Um and I have actually seen the opposite. Um, I don't think the elements you're talking about, I don't see them as very prominent. If anything, I see uh much more of the feminine spirit being unleashed in the world right now and and women rising, if anything else. What I see more as being in jeopardy is our freedoms. Uh, I mean, we, we, we're in an era right now where people are trying to tell you what to think, how, how, how to, um, you know, what pronouns to use, uh, what, you know, what you should be saying and not saying in public. And if you, if you cross that line, they cancel you. Okay. That's what I'm more concerned about. I'm more concerned about the rise of uh, this kind of a, a reactionary thought control, because there's always people in this world, and this goes right back to the Gnostics. The Gnostics had um, had identified a you know dark side of of human existence, a dark side of the psyche, which they called the Archons, and the Archons were all were a control mechanism. They they invaded your mind in effect, uh, and um, you know tried to control your thought and you know what you were doing, limit your freedom in essence in order to feed their own ends. And I see analogs of this happening in our society today. And uh, the unfortunate thing is that these negative things all go under positive banners. They're all saying, oh, well, you know, we're being progressive. We're trying to do this and that. But it's not progressive at all. If, if, if in essence, it's trying to, you know, curtail your freedom to be a thinking individual. Mm -hmm. So um, if anything, I see women on the rise and I see that as a positive counterforce to this because I, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the uh, women's intuition ultimately uh, can help us win out over these um uh these forces and uh and these influences and i i i see it more you know I, for instance mary magdalene nobody when i started writing nobody knew who mary magdalene was now there's an explosion of information and 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 uh, questions and you know literature uh, on mary magdalene and what she symbolized so i i see that as being very positive my guest is Peter Canova. His latest book, Quantum Spirituality, Science, Gnostic Mysticism, and Connecting with Source Consciousness. Peter, one more time, please share with our listeners where they can get your books and find out more about you and your amazing work. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can go to petercanova.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-C-A-N-O-V-A.com. That's my website, which will uh, talk about uh, both quantum spirituality. It has um, links leading into the fictional series, the First Souls trilogy. Or you can go directly to Pope Annalisa, P-O-P-E-A-N-N-A-L-I-S-A.com, uh, which uh, more specifically deals with um, the, the first book uh, of the First Souls trilogy. So, um, you know, I think go to the Peter Canova website first and then have fun with it. I think it has a lot of information that will be very interesting to people. Peter, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience and wisdom. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Destination Unlimited. I'm Victor, the voice Furman. Have a wonderful week.